Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. All right, welcome back to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton, Lifeline's Vice President of Engagement, and today we are going to be beginning a new study. So we finished up last week our study of the 13 statements in Lifeline's uh, doctrine statement, our, our statement of faith, and, and so this week we're beginning um, to jump into a study into the books of First and Second Thessalonians, those two letters that Paul wrote to the church uh, in Thessalonica. So as we begin this morning, I, I want to um, just kind of give a little bit of context and maybe a little bit of a history lesson just to kind of ground us. So before we get to the first chapter of First Thessalonians, we're actually going to look a little bit into um, Acts chapter 17, uh, talk a little bit about what's happening in Acts and about the planting of the church in uh, Thessalonica, and then and then kind of move forward. Um, <clears throat> Thessalonica is one of those places that's mentioned in the New Testament that we can visit today. It, it's uh, called Thessaloniki now, but um, but it's a you know it's a place that still continues and thrives. Um, it, it's an important uh, industrial and commercial city, and it was an important commercial and industrial city uh, in in modern Greece, um, second only to Athens in population. And so we see a city that has uh, transitioned through uh, to the, to the Roman empire. And, um, and, and as we look at the church in Thessalonica, it reflected the, the people in the city of Thessalonica. And so you had, um, Greeks and Romans and Jews and Asians and all kinds of people, because this was a, a central trade route city, uh, and a, and a very important city in, uh, in trade in, in the Roman Empire, um, around in Paul's day, um, when the, the the first letter was written to the church uh, at Thessalonica, uh, the population was probably around two hundred thousand people, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, today, it's a city of about three hundred thousand people, and so it hasn't changed that much. Um, there were most of the people in Paul's day were Greeks, but as I said, there were there were Romans and a strong Jewish minority, and the synagogue was uh, was a big fixture in the midst of the the place of that um, that group of of Jews that were in Thessalonica. Um, the way that Paul planted the church there, the way that he even got there, um, of course, begins in Acts chapter sixteen when. Paul is is uh, Paul's just separated from Barnabas, and he has uh, so there's Paul and Silas and um, Timothy, and they're kind of seeking the Lord for where they should go next, and, and trying to make a plan for another missionary journey. And in the midst of making that plan, um, Paul has a vision, and and the vision is a man from Macedonia who. Um, 
who calls and says, please come over to us and please come help us. And so, um, so they began to journey toward um, Macedonia. Uh, we know that the first stop was Philippi, and from an earthly sense, it didn't go very well. Um, that they, they preached and, and people came to know the Lord and they met significant people in the city and there was a church that was planted, but there also was a riot and Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. And ultimately, they were, uh, they were ushered and snuck out of the city because of fear of uh, the insurrection that they had created. And so, uh, so then they moved on to, uh, to Thessalonica. And what we see in Thessalonica, about 100 miles away from Philippi, so not, um, you know, not a quick journey, would take them a while to get there. Uh, but when they got there, they immediately did what, what Paul was given to do, which he went to the synagogues and, and began to reason from the scriptures and to point people to Jesus. Um, as, as we see kind of this unfold in Acts chapter 17, uh, what, we, what we witness is that Paul and his companions really only were able to invest three weeks into uh, Thessalonica uh, reason, reasoning in the synagogues and, and and spreading the gospel before they were cast out of um, or before they had to flee Thessalonica uh, for the same reason that they had to flee um, Philippi, just not necessarily with the same degree of urgency and the jailing and all of those kind of things. Although um, we do see that there are other people that are harassed for helping Paul. Um, one, just one important thing I think to point out here is that, that I, if you're like me, I think we, we all have a bit of a tendency to interpret and to, to look at the, the work of God and the leading of God and to write ourselves into that story as we think about it. And so it's really easy to begin to think that we're central to God carrying out his work and to him working out his purposes. And so we see God's work probably far too often in terms of um, our ability to be in it and to affect it and to to have something to do with it. And I think it's not an accident that this church, which is which turns out to be a very strong church in Thessalonica, that Paul only spent three weeks there and only shared the gospel for three weeks, yet this incredibly strong church has grown up. So as we kind of turn to um, the, the first chapter of Thessalonians and we start to get into this book, um, just a little bit of background about the letter. So this letter was uh, most likely written to the, the believers in the church at Thessalonica um, a couple or three years after Paul was there with them originally to, to plant the church. And there are some particular things that are that are happening kind of in and around um, the church. There are challenges to this church, like there are to every church in the New Testament, where um, there are people that are coming and false teachers that are coming around that are trying to to get them off message and trying to get them off mission. And people that are that are trying to turn the church for for their own profit and for their own fame and for their own power. Um, and so Paul speaks into that. Um, there also is uh, is a bit of a problem that's arisen doctrinally in the church that we see that kind of unfolds over these two books where uh, the Thessalonians really kind of misinterpreted something that uh, that Paul had said to them about um, being in the last days and about anticipating the return of Jesus. And so they they took that so literally and probably because of the city that they were in where there was so much pagan worship and there was so much syncretism in the city that they were in 
they were looking around at the world that they were in and thinking, surely the Lord has to come back because we see how sinful and broken this world is and the Lord can't tarry long. And, and so literally the Thessalonians um, were kind of in a place where they were calling in sick to work and sitting in their front yards in lawn chairs looking up at the sky waiting for Jesus to come back. Like they literally kind of resigned their lives and they were, they were collecting to themselves and they were focusing inward because of the challenges that were going on around them on the outside because of how crazy the society was and about how, how different it was and antithetical it was to the gospel. Um, I think that's a really good reason for us to study deeply uh, the letters of First and Second Thessalonians because it feels a whole lot like the world that we're living in today. And I think it taps into really a, a tendency that we may have as, as believers to, to think the world is just getting worse and worse. And we're seeing you know, morality crumble in our society and we're seeing the, re, the, the lines redrawn around you know, concepts that we thought were um, were, were permanent and solid like gender and uh, the definition of family and all those kind of things that we, you know, that we had a perception that those things are God-defined and, they're, and so therefore they're enduring and we're watching them be redefined around us, um, right? Well, one, we know that that's an illusion. They're not being redefined. We're just ignoring God in the midst of and, and, and God's design um, in the midst of per, trying to make people um, comfortable in living the way they want to live and, and really trying to accommodate the, the sin that is around us and 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 is it has broken our world and ultimately has 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 broken us and and produced our need for a savior and and so the the tendency like what was happening with the Thessalonians is that we start to look inward that we start to isolate from the society that we start to shrink back and that we start to look more to the heavens for the 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 coming of Jesus and the rescue and the establishing of Jesus kingdom as opposed to looking to Christ for um for strength and guidance and 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 for all that we need in order to be able to accomplish the mission that that we've been given in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and making disciples and all the things that come along with that. And so I think for us at Lifeline, it's a reminder to us that no matter what we see going on around us in the culture, um, God has not changed. Uh, God's word has not changed. God's God's design has not changed. And, And we must be faithful to uh, to the Lord, we must be faithful to the one who has called us out of darkness, and um, but yet we can't shrink back from working in our society, and so that means being countercultural. That means um, being out of step with the world. That means making decisions that are different than the way that the cultural winds are blowing, and that means that we have to expect that there are going to be challenges. We have to expect that there may be pockets of persecution, that there may be difficulties that come, and and those things certainly are going to make our hearts long toward heaven, like and long toward the the the, the recreation that will come in the second coming, but they don't don't make us stop and and I think that's you know that's just terribly important and so so as we as we get into um, the 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 book of first Thessalonians and we kind of get into the first chapter um, for economy of time today I'm not going to read um, the, the the whole first chapter um, and those 10 verses uh, we're just going to kind of take them piece by piece as we move through so the first thing really kind of four things that that I want to I want us to see as as we look at how Paul is beginning to address this church um, 
that that ultimately there is there is opposition that is coming toward and there is a world swirling around them that that's causing them to believe that the second coming is imminent what is it that he says about them to kick off this letter well they're really kind of four things so the first thing comes in 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 verses one through four so paul sylvanius who is silas um just using his his greek name here so paul sylvanius and timothy to the church of the thessalonians and uh, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always uh, for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and, and Father your work of faith and labor, of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, uh, loved by God, that he has chosen you. So the first thing that Paul affirms to them is that, um, that they are an elect people. Um, that they've been chosen by God. And, and so um, I know that can be a controversial doctrine, and, and there are probably a lot of you that are listening to this podcast who have different opinions about what it means um, to be elected and, and, and how, the, how election works. And so, so you may come from a, a tradition that sort of nuances the doctrine of election one way or another. Here's something that we can say that we can all agree about is that salvation would not happen had it not been the initiative of God. That that we understand, and, and even one of those one of those passages in another of Paul's letters that we hang on to, Ephesians chapter one, that talks about the about our adoption into the family of God. One of the things that Paul tells us in in that passage is that that before the very foundation of the world, God had already conceived of our adoption into the family of God. He had already chosen um, to choose. Um, now we may not understand the nuances of that election, but what we do do know is that this is consistent with what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And, and so there's this sense that, that we can say definitively that we would not have taken the steps toward God necessary to bring about our salvation if God had not taken those steps first. If God had not reached out to us to provide for our salvation, we would not in any way, in any shape, under any doctrine. And so the most thoroughgoing uh, Arminian and the most thoroughgoing Calvinist and, and anybody that, you know, between Reformed theology and Wesleyan theology that, and wherever you fit on the spectrum, I think we all have to agree that there is an active elective work of God, that God was, was active and busy in the work of salvation. And there's, there's great comfort in that, right? So he's writing into a church that's experiencing difficulty and he's writing into a church that's experiencing attack from the outside and strife on the inside and the first thing he reminds them is is that you are a chosen people that that God called you out of darkness and he's called you into light through the the work of Jesus and and so we you know we see in this passage um, that that the entire plan of salvation was born into the heart of God long before um, it was it was given into the hearts of men um, we we see that um, that that in this um, Paul knows that the that the Thessalonians are elect 
they are part of the family of God they, because there's evidence, right? Um, so what we have to do is, and we'll see in just a minute as we look at the, the last two verses of this chapter, is that you have to put kind of, the, kind of verse 3 against verses 9 and 10, and, and you see this, like how Paul's making this judgment. So he says, Remembering before God and Father your work and faith and labor of love and steadfastness and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he says, look, I see the fruit. I see your work. I see what you're doing. I see the evidence of a transformed life. Um, and, and then he talks about what other people are saying about the Thessalonians. People he, who he loves, but he hasn't been with very much, and, and, and people that he sees as his spiritual children. He says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and, and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so, in other words, he says, look, it like the, the like your your life is is known far beyond you and far beyond your community of, about how you've turned and rejected idols and those things that you used to work worship and and those things that you've that that you've now turned to and that you cling to in Jesus. And and he even praises something that he's going to kind of get on to them about later in these two letters. And and it's it's this idea of their anticipation of the return of Jesus. And so while he's going to tell them that they're not exactly right in that, he's commending them for their faithful belief that Jesus will return again, right? And and so we're seeing the evidence of of their election, their their choosing, their inclusion into the family of God. Second thing, verses five through seven, verses five through seven, we see a people that are an example. Because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And for you received the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in. Macedonia and Achaia. So Paul is is basically saying to them that they they have become examples. They've become disciple makers, and and what he what he says is that we came there to make disciples, and you followed and imitated us, and now you're doing the things that we came there to do. You're you're proclaiming the gospel. You're making disciples. And, and your life and the way you're living and your words and your actions are being used um, to, to, to ultimately um, grow the kingdom of God. And so they were examples in several areas of their lives. One, it says in verse 5, they received the word. Um, and, and so there was, there was a sense that their, their faith was, uh, was grounded not on tradition, not on their opinion, not on their feelings, but their their faith was grounded on the word of God. And Paul had come in and, and divided the word of God before them, and they had continued to dig in and to, to divide the word of God to seek and to follow Jesus. And I think that's a, that's a great reminder for us, right, that we want to be a people who are not driven by by the, the, the waves of our society. We're not driven by the taste of the day. We're not driven by our emotions. We're not driven 
uh, even by our feelings or our needs. What we're driven by ultimately is, is the objective Word of God. God has given us a way to know Him through His Word, and so we need to dig deeply into the Word of God and consistently into the Word of God because that's where, that's where we find God and that's where we, that's where we know Him. And it's a tool that the Spirit can use ultimately as a living Word to penetrate our hearts and to change our hearts. Second thing he says is that they followed their spiritual leaders, right? So they they were yoked up to spiritual leaders who were honestly, intently pursuing Jesus, and they imitated um, those leaders' imitation of Jesus. And so they saw Jesus in Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they imitated the Jesus that they saw in Paul and Timothy um, and Silas. And so I think, again, that's a reminder to us at, at, that being an example means bringing people close, right? We all need to have a Paul and we all need to have a Timothy in our lives. We all need to have someone who's who's investing in us, who's, who's farther along in the journey, who's pointing us toward Jesus. We also need um, those people in our lives that are that are the Timothys that we're encouraging that are that are not yet mature in the faith and we're encouraging them to follow Jesus well. Um, also in verse 6, it says that part of the example is that they suffered for Christ. They didn't buckle under the pressure of the culture around them. They didn't go back to idol worship. They didn't give in to syncretism. They didn't change their, their biblically-based morality. They remained steadfast in a world that was not slanted to supporting um, who they are and, and, and not, not slanted to supporting um, their life in Christ. Um, and so they suffered for that, but yet they suffered faithfully. I think in a world where we are seeing um, many Christians and, and many Christian ministries um, fall to the pressure of a cancel culture that says, if you don't accept all of the things that we say are good in society, if you don't accept the changing morality, if you don't accept the redefinition of marriage, if you don't accept the fluidity of gender and all those kinds of things, if you don't, if you don't accept those things, then you therefore no longer can exist as a, as, as a rule in our society. And, and we're moving that way. Um, the example that the, that the, the church in Thessalonica gives us is to stand against that. To stand against it winsomely, to to stand against it against it with with the word of God and with the gospel as um, as our our weapon, I guess, to defend ourselves and to step into that, not not to stand belligerently as 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 men and women who just want to be right, but ultimately to stand on um, the morality that that we've been given. Uh, that we're certain about in the Word of God, and that the Word of God doesn't change; that it doesn't it doesn't move with the the, the whims of the day, and 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 that because that's really kind of toxic thinking. Um, the the fourth thing that we see is that they encouraged other churches, and so their example ultimately was profitable for all the other churches in Macedonia in the and in the area. They saw how the Thessalonians were um, standing faithfully, and, and it, it gave them um, great comfort to stand faithfully. And, and I think, again, that's one of those things. As we see um, people fall around us, as we see people accommodate to um, the cultural agenda around us, that, that's grieving. 
but it but it also kind of doubles down for us to be to be reminded that that the faithfulness of our witness and the faithfulness of, of our example is important because it it encourages those others who are standing steadfast um, on the word of God and and are grounded in the gospel and in relationship to Jesus. Um, so. So we have uh, an elect people. We have an enthusiastic or, or, or a, an exemplary people. They're also these are also a, a, this is a, a people who are happy, right? They are an enthusiastic people. Um, they in verse verse eight tells us that they they did the work of an evangelist and that they told people about Jesus. It says, "For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you." in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. In other words, your your reputation precedes you. Um, and, and, and the fact is that they, they had been vocal about their faith in a very difficult culture. They continued to tell people about Jesus, and we need to be a people who, who, are, who are reminding ourselves that part of our role is not just to, to find um, faith in Christ and to deepen in, in our faith in Christ and to turn inward and to focus on that, but we need to be a people who ultimately are going out and telling other people about Christ and and that we're using our lives up to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So then the fourth thing that we see, and again, this is one of those things where Paul is going to correct some things about this, but but it's also something that he finds praiseworthy, is they're an expectant people. Um, that that their their patience and and their hope in Christ and their they're being convinced that Jesus is who he said he is and that he's done what he said he, he's done and that he's alive and at the right hand of the Father, that that was the encouragement that they needed to be an expectant people. They believed Jesus was coming back. Um, Paul certainly had to correct their misunderstanding about the timing of that and, and, that, and what they were supposed to do in the meantime, right? Because we're all living in the last days. Every, every one of us that, that has drawn breath and has walked with Jesus since, uh, since Christ ascended back uh, to be with the Father, like all of us are living in the last days. And, and there are things around us, and, and, and as our world seems to, to go kind of crazy, we look at the things around us, and, and sometimes we're drawn to think that, well, now has to be the time. This is it. Um, we start looking at the, you know, the signs of the fulfillment of prophecy and all those kinds of things. And, and, and in times like today, um, books about prophecy and Bible studies about prophecy become really attractive because we see the craziness of our world and, and it's right in our faces and we believe that has to mean that Jesus is coming soon. Well, Jesus is coming soon. But it's in God's economy and his definition of what soon is. And so we don't know if that's going to happen in your lifetime, my lifetime, the lifetime of our children, the lifetime of our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. We don't know. And, and as a matter of fact, what we have a tendency to do is to look at our own circumstances in, in our own place and, and generalize that for the whole world. And so as first world Western Americans, most of us, most of you that are listening to this podcast, we look at the things that are happening around us and we interpret the, the kind of the calendar and the clock that, that, that God has set in motion in terms of those things that are happening to us. Um, sometimes we're not as 
uh, as quick to look at the things that are happening around the world and in other places and the way the gospel is moving forth and the way people are repenting and the way people are are in uh, the way that we see the Spirit moving. And so where we may be in a moment where where the, the cultural inputs that are coming toward us are pointing toward despair and hopelessness, um, we have to acknowledge that brothers and sisters around the world may be experiencing revival and, and, are, and are seeing God do things to, to bring people to know Jesus and to follow Jesus in ways that are that are so far beyond their expectations, and that those things are happening simultaneously with what we see as um, sometimes difficulty and challenge, and and ultimately things that would smack of um, the, la- the the very last days. And so the truth is that you and I really have to 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 just discipline ourselves to understand that we need to leave, live every day like it's our last. That, that we need to live every day in such a way that we honor the idea that we are in the last days and that there's an urgency about telling people about Jesus and there's an urgency about doing kingdom work. There's an urgency about caring for widows and orphans in their affliction because that's what we've been called out as the people of God to do. And so I hope this uh, through this study in First and Second Thessalonians that you're going to be encouraged, that you're going to be challenged, that there are going to be things that you're going to find across this Bible study that are going to be helpful to you and and, and to your day and to your life. Um, and and I hope it'll help to um, to to embolden uh, your walk with the Lord, and ultimately that it'll help to to encourage your service as you care for widows and orphans in their affliction, as you, as, you, as you press into caring for the vulnerable in our world, and also as you press into telling people uh, far and wide uh, about Jesus and, and about the, the good news that he has come and that he's provided a way for us to be reconciled to God. And so thanks for joining us again on the Defender Bible Study. We uh, look forward to unpacking, as the Lord wills, the rest of the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And, uh, and, and we pray that this study will be, uh, will be a great profit to you. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.